We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Paul with another episode of the show. Today, we have two great guests as part of our tour in the league. But first, let me ask you to head on over to iTunes, please. That five-star review will put you in a contest to get a $50 gift certificate over to NFLShop.com, which I hope you'll spend on Ram stuff, by the way. You can also subscribe onto iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much almost anywhere you can find podcasts. We're there. We're even on iBeatRadio.com. They air our shows on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Okay, so 
Appearing today as part of our tour in the league is Terry Lambert, host of Locked on Titans, to give us an update on how the Tennessee Titans are doing under new head coach Mike Vrabel. Then Ryan Dunleavy, Giants beat writer for NJ.com, and the star Ledger takes us into the Giants' mindset during an off-season of change for the Big Blue. Before we get going, though, we want to thank one of the sponsors that makes our show possible. It is summertime in Southern California, which means sun hot weather, and visit to the pool. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling serves Orange County and the Southland and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. Just head on over to jayhawkpools.com and take a look at their work. You can see the quality in their finishes and in the testimonies provided by past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and also help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in the area and you need work done, give Jayhawk Pool Plaster a call. You'll be glad you did. All right, we're here with Terry Lambert, host of Locked On Titans. Terry, welcome to the show. And for the record, I hope we never have to see the Rams play the Titans for a Super Bowl title again. That was a rough one for us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, let's not talk about that Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, so first off, how do you feel about Marcus Mariota's progression as a quarterback? Does he have the weapons to make the leap into the next tier of quarterbacks next year? I think the talent is there. Uh, it, it's a really interesting situation, though, when you consider – uh, the coaching staff, of, of course, you know, Mike Malarkey was let go uh, even after a playoff win. He was let go because Marcus Mariota was not progressing. Uh, and he was very good in years one and two, uh, you know, backtracked in year three. Uh, there was just a, a lot going on with that offense. It was a ground and pound, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type deal. Uh, so most of us believe that Marcus wasn't put in a situation where he can win. Uh, now you've got Matt LaFleur coming in. We're all hoping that he's going to dial up this passing attack. You know, you got Corey Davis on the outside who, who showed some flashes there. Still got Rashard Matthews there. Uh, after that, you, you've got a bunch of youth there. So uh, not the greatest, most established set of weapons for Marcus Mariota, but I'm I'm kind of the thinking that this coaching staff is going to take him to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I guess just talking about that coaching staff, you know, there was all that drama Last year with, 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 with Marky, what, what was he coming back? Was he not coming back? Um, and then, and then he, he was eventually fired after the, after the Titans lost at, to the Patriots in the divisional playoff round. Um, what has what has been your first, I guess, impression of of Mike of Mike Vrabel? And I mean, do you think Matt Lafleur? I mean, I, I know I was disappointed when Matt, when Matt Lafleur left the Rams because he did he did wonders for Jared Goff last year. So do you think he can have that same effect on on Mariota? Just kind of. Back, uh, back checking on what Derek was saying. It's interesting because I think the feel here in Nashville is that people are more excited for Matt Lafleur than they are for uh, Vrabel. Uh, and, and with Malarkey, it was just a it was just a total disaster on offense last year. Mario was taking some hits, and he just did not look like himself. So the writing was on the wall, even though the Titans were in the playoffs. It was a really odd situation. But uh, Vrabel comes in, and he's kind of a different dude. Uh, he's kind of been a little standoffish uh, with the media so far. I think he's kind of 
wanting to imitate Bill Belichick, just a different guy, you know, they're still feeling each other out there. So, um, it's hard to comment, you know, we've always seen to this point is just a rookie camp and a little bit of OTAs, but, uh, the change was definitely needed on the coaching staff. Looking at, looking at the offense as a whole, as a whole, you got, it seemed like you guys kind of reached on Corey Davis a few years ago in the draft. And then, I mean, Derrick Henry, he's seems like he's the number one guy there. What needs to go, is Marcus Mariota one of those quarterbacks where everything around him needs to be perfect? Do those guys need to develop in order for him to succeed, or is Mariota the, guy, the kind of guy that does he have that ability to make the players around him better? I think he does have that ability. Again, you didn't see it last year because the offense was just such a mess. Uh, but I think you've also seen the flashes out of Corey Davis uh, to where those two are going to make each other better. Uh, and then you you've got you know you're moving from man blocking scheme to his own blocking scheme so that's going to be interesting to see how Derek Henry kind of fits in that you've also added Deion Lewis who people kind of seem to pigeonhole as a third down back I think he's going to be a lot more than that I think he's going to touch the ball more than Derek Henry so uh there's some weapons there uh not really proven yet uh but it's going to be interesting to see if this offensive line can can return to that 2016 form and kind of carry this offense you actually just touched on the question I was going to ask, and that was about the running game. With the, I know last year when we uh, we talked to the guys last year during the Titans-Rams game, they told us, hey, Derrick Henry needs to get the ball more. He did at some point in the game, and at some point they went away from him. It was something that was that happened a lot during the course of the Titans year. Are all those running game issues settled now or not? Well, again, new scheme. So I, I don't know. Uh, they never got settled last year. Uh, Malarkey's staff really stuck with DeMarco Murray. And, you know, Murray slowed down, but he was a guy that did all the little stuff right. You know, he passed blocks and he caught balls out of the backfield. Uh, you saw Derrick Henry get that chance in Kansas City. You saw him him miss some some key blocks in that playoff game. Uh, got, got Mario to kill a couple times. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I, I know Dion Lewis is a definite upgrade over DeMarco Murray who just seemed to break down at near the end of the season. You know, he, he's, uh, I think, 31 years old now, so that, that happens to guys that age. So you, you certainly hope so, uh, but I'm, I'm really interested to see the dynamic between Lewis and Henry. Just, just going back to last season, Tennessee, the, the, the Titans, they make the playoffs for the, the first time since 2011. You know, there's some momentum going on. Then the playoff game against Kansas City, they come back from, a, from 21 to 3 to win 22-21. How much of that, of that momentum carries into the – carries into this year or is it clean slate last year we're forgetting about that moving into 2018 i think there's some momentum there um and i don't know if you guys saw but the titans have new new jerseys uh they unveiled those downtown uh there was there's thousands of people downtown uh it was right there on broadway so i I think that kind of lit the city on fire for the titans who you know for so many years they've been so bad uh, so they really struggled to put butts in the seat. So uh, that playoff run last year helped. I think people were skeptical still of, of Mike Malarkey despite the success. So you get that new staff in, you get a playoff-ready football team, uh, you've kind of got a new era, new jersey, new look type feel. I think there's some momentum with the Titans and in Nashville. What do you make of the Titans working for agency? What were their best and worst decisions this offseason? Well, the Malcolm Butler thing uh, was not something we had on our radar. We really didn't think cornerback was that big of a need. 
but they go sign him to a huge deal. And you, look, you can never have too many corners. Uh, that just wasn't really high on our radar. Uh, we thought they might get in on the Sammy Watkins sweepstakes. He ended up going for absurd money to to the Chiefs. So uh, I think they got better uh, with that deal. And then obviously I've already touched on Deion Lewis. That was a move they had to make. They had to get some some more dynamic pieces to add to that running game, and they did that in Lewis. And outside of that, it's been pretty much role players from there. But I, I really think with the moves they've made in free agency and then the draft, you got Rashawn Evans, the linebacker, Harold Landry, the edge rusher. Uh, Titans defense got got leaps and bounds better. So my next question has has nothing to do re- re- really with the Titans. It has more to do with the city of Nashville. I mean, you guys get the draft. Um, you guys get the draft next year. It's just from an outsider, from someone that lives in Philadelphia, a great sports town. It seems like. The city of Nashville is really evolving as a sports town. It's becoming just this up-and-coming city that a city that really loves their sports teams. I mean, you, you look at the Predators. Can you just, I guess, expand on that and talk about that a little bit? It's booming. Uh, everything, you know, not just sports. There's just something always going on. Uh, Nashville's a really, really unique place. You know, you go down on Broadway and you see all the honky-tonks and, and all that. Uh, it, it's just, it's not your run-of-the-mill city. So, uh, it, it's really caught on. It's really interesting just to hear the reporters that come into town. You know, you see them come in, have a great time. You see them come back and, and vacation during the summer. So it's a really, it's the it town right now. Uh, and I think it all started really with this Predators playoff run. Uh, you know, the Titans were so bad for so long. Uh, the Predators came along and, and they're, they made an appearance in the Stanley Cup finals last year. Uh, and those crowds, just to simply watch a game on, on a big screen, you know, they filled up the streets of downtown. It was just a really cool atmosphere. So I think that really got the ball rolling. Uh, and then the, the controlling owner, Amy Adamstrunk, said at the uniform unveil- unveiling that this was kind of an audition for the draft. And they knocked it out of the park, clearly. Also, well, things are a little bit off topic, but we have a we have a mutual uh, we have a mutual history here, the certain Jeff Fisher. <laughs> and I can't let this podcast go without asking about him. On our podcast, it's kind of a national pastime for us to beat the tar out of him. Um, but uh, what is his legacy in Tennessee? You know, it's a lot better than I'm sure it is for you guys. <laughs> Fisher, it wasn't all bad with Fisher, obviously. Uh, those early 2000s Titans teams were were really, really good, really great. Uh, a lot of talent on that roster. Uh, it's a shame they never they never really won one, but uh, things things sort of deteriorated, and we, you know he fell into the seven and nine, eight and eight stuff. That's where that was born. So uh, his legacy in Nashville is, I, I think he's still well liked. I don't know if he's loved, uh, but you know you look at what happened after Fisher left. You go to Munchak, you go to you know Wizen Hunt, and you go to Malarkey, and, and things fell off a cliff. So. I think what happened after Fisher uh, kind of helped his image in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, the, the, those those early 2000 Titans teams were, were, were ridiculous. I mean, you, you got Eddie George at running back. Steve McNair is one of my favorite all-time, all-time quarterbacks there. Um, and I guess... I want to, I want to expand more on more on Mike Mike Vrabel being named the head coach. Do you think he was the right hire? Was there somebody else out there that you would have preferred them to get? Is he a guy that can I guess change the culture in 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 Tennessee? You know, you, you hear about these players becoming coaches, and it doesn't really all, always work out. What makes Mike Vrabel different? John Robinson, the Titans GM, said "leader of men" uh, four or five times in his press conference. 
uh, when he introduced Vrabel. So I, I think that's what he was looking for. He's looking for a strong guy that's going to lead, not necessarily uh, an X's and O's type guy. So I, I, you just get the feel with Matt LaFleur coming in, you got Dean Pease running the defense. It just seems like there's a different level of responsibility maybe than other coaches. Uh, so John Robinson just wanted a leader. Uh, so it's it's a really unique situation. I think most of the Titans fan base would have preferred Josh McDaniels, you know, and, and who knows if he comes to the, the Titans after what he did to the Colts in that weird situation. But I think it would have been really interesting to see McDaniels and that New England Patriots system fit with Marcus Mariota. But you know, a different story for a different day. But uh, I'm. I'm confident in Vrabel just because of how good this roster is and, and how far it's come in, in just the past couple couple of years. Well, two things here. Hey, Blaine, what school did Vrabel go to? Uh, that I couldn't tell you off the, top, off the top of my head. Oh, I can tell you. The oh, Ohio State University. The Ohio State University. <laughs> the Ohio State University. And uh, then, Terry, my question to you is, with Matt LaFleur, he was with us, uh, and he did a solid job, but the one thing – that can't be said about us. He didn't call the plays here in LA. Right. So does that concern you guys out there? Is it concerned that you have an offensive coordinator who does not, who did not call the plays yet and at all, hasn't, doesn't have that experience. And you have a head coach who you guys are just saying, he's not really an X and O's kind of guy. He's more of a leader of men. How does that make you nervous at all? It does. And I don't really have a, a good answer to tell you why I'm, I'm confident in it. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a funny situation because Lafleur actually interviewed for the head coaching job. You know, I kind of speculated at the time that uh, he was he was just kind of interviewing for the offensive coordinator job, and, and sure enough, a couple weeks later, it comes back around. Lafleur's got the offensive coordinator job. So, you guys could probably answer that question more than I could. But just seeing what that staff did with Jared Goff and, and what a turnaround it was in in just one year. Uh, that's got people excited in Nashville. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you look at these at, at the two quarterbacks between the Rams and the Titans. T- Titans, Marcus Mariota, Rams, Jared Goff. These are two guys that you know when Aaron Rodgers is gone, Tom Brady is gone. The, the, these these guys, as well as you know the Carson Wentz's, the Dak Prescotts, all all those guys, they are that next cream of the crop quarterbacks that are going to be the face of the NFL. If you had to choose one of those guys, Jared Goff or Marcus Mariota, who would be your guy for the next five years to lead your franchise? Oh gosh. <laughs> See, that's tough because I haven't I haven't studied golf, um, but the things I've seen from Mariota, the mental uh, the processing ability. You know, this guy made no look throws, uh, looking at a safety and he throw it towards the other safety. I mean, just little stuff like that, just next level mental stuff. That's why I'm so confident in in Mariota. I can't say that I'd prefer him over golf just simply because I haven't studied him. But uh, I'm, 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 like I've said, I'm really confident Mario is going to get back to that uh, rookie year, year two form. Way to put him on the spot, Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're, we're going to let you off the hook here. Easy one for you. I'm sure it's an easy one. Well, who knows? Here we go. Where do the Titans finish in 2018? Where do you, can they compete with the Jags and finish first in, in the South? Do they even have enough pieces for the playoff run? It, it, what, how do you see this season playing out for them? Well, the AFC South is just suddenly loaded. You've got the Jaguars and that defense. You've got Deshaun Watson, assuming he comes back and is anything close to what we saw last year. And then if the Colts can get Andrew Luck back, that's a really loaded division that 
really any of the four teams could win. So uh, the Titans played a lot of close games last year and won a lot of close games. So, you know, common logic says you're going to come back to the mean a little bit. I think Vegas has the over-under at eight and a half wins. I'd probably go over. Uh, I think nine and seven is realistic. And I just don't know how good the Texans are going to be. I don't know how good the Jaguars are going to be, but I think they're going to be in the mix for that AFC South title. Well, I said I said last question, but I see a follow-up there if you don't mind me asking. Go for it. And at 8 and 8, 9 and 7, that's very familiar for you guys right now. Will the Nashville fan base be okay with that under this new leadership? I'll tell you, it depends on one thing. It depends on how number 8 plays. If uh, if he looks good, if the offense is humming, I think Nashville will be just fine with it. Because that was the thing last year. You know, you could win every game you play, but Marcus Mariota doesn't look good. You know, you're you're limited uh, without that guy being being up to par. Uh, so if they can get Mariota going, if they can get him back to what we've seen in the past, I think the staff is going to be just fine. All right. Thank you so much, Terry. Can you let our folks know where they can find you and your, and your show and everything you're involved in concerning the Titans? Yeah, we write for MusicCityMiracles.com. It's part of the SB Nation team coverage. We host Locked on Titans. You can find us on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Again, thanks so much for coming to the show. We really appreciate it. And, and uh, you have a great one. Hopefully we talk, get, talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me yeah, on. Thank, thanks, Terry. <laughs> Moving on, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, our original sponsor, that is Sal Martinez in the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in Orange County and like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. And he kept the lights on ever since. That's what he's done. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS, 714-894-RAMS, or 7267 there. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows we sent you, and also to get a discount on the already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it. Just enjoy the atmosphere, the Rams memorabilia. But it's also this old school experience where you can talk football. And it's just you. It's just you and Mr. Martinez. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Hey, Sal even managed to make my blockhead and Norman's funky looking head look, well, almost normal. Just saying, almost normal. All right, we're here with Ryan Dunleavy, New York Giants beat writer for the Star Ledger and NewJersey.com or NJ.com. Ryan, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. How are you? It's a wonderful day full of joy and cheer. We're watching basketball apparently here. I can't, can't fathom why right now, but we are. We are. Um, I only have a few questions for you. Immediately off the bat, what comes to mind is something that we were kind of wondering over here, what sold the Giants on Saquon Barkley? And was there even much debate internally about a quarterback at number two for the Giants? I, I think it's more what they didn't like about Saquon Barkley. I've never seen anybody quite so hyped. You, usually a rookie comes in and you want to 
teams around the league will try to take expectations off and say, you know, it's not about one player. He's just a rookie. You know, he's got to get his feet wet. All those tired cliches. The Giants have pretty much said they expect Saquon Barkley to be in the Hall of Fame when his career is over. So uh, they have put a ton of expectations on him. The running game for the Giants has been pathetic for years. They haven't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2012. Um, now, listen, that's not all on the running backs. That's partly on the offensive line has underachieved. And one of the reasons Jerry Reese had no longer has a job is because he didn't address the Giants offensive line for years. Uh, but they love that Barkley's a three down back. He can run the ball. He's a probably a 50 to 60 catch running back. He can pass protect. He really never has to come out of the game. So I think the idea that he would immediately upgrade their offense, not just as a runner, but in all facets, is what drew them to him. And that's what blows my mind over the years. I've seen so many Giants teams with great running backs, powerful running backs, guys who who can run over people and make people miss, strong offensive lines. All of a sudden, you mentioned it, 2012, the last time they had a 1,000-yard rusher. And that was a Med Bradshaw, Bradshaw, not even like an NFL star. They really haven't had a star-quality Pro Bowl running back since Tiki Barber retired in 2006. And to answer the second part of your question is, no, I really don't think there was much internal discussion about picking a quarterback. Uh, they definitely weren't interested in Baker Mayfield, and he was the only one off the board. So uh, it's not like the the guy they wanted was gone. I mean, I think the guy they favored was probably uh, Sam Darnold, and he was there, and they let him go right across the state to the Jets. So they'll have if he ends up, you know, having a monster career or something, that'll be an interesting dynamic. And New York, New Jersey for the next 10 years. Well, that brings a question to me is how much does Eli Manning still have in him and how confident are they in Kyle Aletta for the future? Well, to be honest, I'll start with the second part of it. I think, listen, any organization is going to want their guy, right? So I think obviously that gives Aletta an advantage because he's their guy. But I truthfully being at practice, talking to people in it, in and around the Giants, both on and off the record, I really think Eli Manning's successor is Davis Webb, who was picked in the third round last year at a Cal. Um, I really think he's the guy, not Laletta, which is why on draft day I ripped the pick of Laletta pretty hard, not because I think is no good. It has nothing to do with Laletta. He could, he could end up being a very serviceable NFL player, but I just don't understand picking. And the Steelers did this too with uh, Josh Dobbs last year and Mason Rudolph this year. I just don't understand picking uh, quarterbacks back-to-back years when you have a veteran quarterback. Essentially, either last year or this year, the Steelers and the Giants picked their third-string quarterback in the middle of a draft. That to makes zero sense to me. Um, so it's not, to me, I think Webb's the next guy, and to go in reverse, first part of your question, I think how much Manning has left is anybody's guess. I mean, you really can't judge Eli Manning based on last year. It's not fair because in the fifth game of the season, he lost Odell Beckham for the season. He lost Brandon Marshall for the season. He lost Dwayne Harris for the season, and he lost Sterling Shepard in and out of the lineup basically for the rest of the season. So he was basically playing with a cast of practice squad guys. His numbers weren't great. They weren't good. They weren't terrible. Uh, but I don't really think we can take anything from Eli. I think you got to go back to 2016 maybe for Eli and he was good then they won 11 games they went to the playoffs but this is a totally different offense than that was and I think this is one that'll suit Eli better than the last one let me ask this because over the years watching Eli play some some games he looks 
wonderful. And, and some games he looks lost, and I've always noticed that about him. Yet he's won two Super Bowls. He's been the starting quarterback there for a very long time. What is the real view of Eli Manning in New York? I think pretty much what you said. I think from afar you probably have it down, which is uh, he's a guy who can get hot and especially has a proven track record in big games of getting hot and can win you. He can win anywhere at any time. You know, he can go into Green Bay and win. He could go into San Francisco and win. He could beat the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Uh, he can come up big at any moment, but he can also come up small at moments. So uh, I think that's pretty much Eli Manning's career in a nutshell, which is here's here's the crazy stat that always blows people's minds. Eli Manning has been the Giants starting quarterback since midway through his rookie season of 2004. So that's 14 seasons. Eli Manning has only won a playoff game, a single playoff game. He's only won a playoff game in two of those 14 years. Now, in those two years, he won four each time and won the Super Bowl. But the other 12 seasons, he has zero playoff wins. So I think he's probably right on the borderline of a Hall of Famer. He throws more interceptions than I think you want in a Hall of Famer, but he can single-handedly win you a game. And I think a lot of Giants fans are excited about what he can do with a cast of Beckham, Shepard, Ingram, and Barkley, which is probably the best cast he's had since Shockey, Barber, Plaxico, Burris, and Amani Toomer when he was in his early 20s. You mentioned just now Adele Beckham. How much how much fire was there to all the feel about uh, you know, him going to the Rams possibly or going somewhere else? What's the real deal with Odell Beckham? Uh, I mean, listen, there was real interest there. The Giants in trading him and the Rams in acquiring him. And, you know, other teams have made calls as well. It wasn't just the Rams, but... Would they ever have pulled the trigger? I think it would have taken a law a, a crazy offer. Two first round picks is what Adam Schefter said. Uh, I think something in that ballpark. Would they have turned down a one and a two? Probably not. Um, but they didn't get anything close to what they wanted. There was quite a big separation there. Um, quite a, quite a big gap. So uh, listen, would they have traded? I think it was more than anything. I think it was to send Odell a message that you're not untouchable. And to get him to, you know, get in line with what the Giants want. Um, I don't think they ever really wanted to trade him because there's no trade of Odell Beckham where you're getting fair value. I mean, Jarvis Landry isn't as good as Odell Beckham, but Jarvis Landry is a very good NFL receiver. Very productive, came in at the same time as Odell. They're close friends. And I think the Dolphins got like a fourth and a seventh for Jarvis Landry. You're, for a play, when you trade a player like that, you're not getting fair value. And I don't think the Giants were just going to give Odell Beckham away. They just wanted to send a message to him. And I don't think they realized quite how big that message was going to be because everything with Odell Beckham is outsized. Now, there's there was some business between the Rams and Giants this offseason. The Rams sent Alec Ogletree over to the Giants. What drew the Giants to him? And do they think they can get more out of him than the Rams did? Yeah, I, I'm interested in Ogletree, honestly, because he's in his mid-20s. Every season he's played a full season, he's had 95 or more tackles. Uh, it's my understanding from reading up on it that uh, he didn't really fit the 3-4 that the Rams changed to last year, the 3-4 defense, which is interesting because the Giants are changing to 3-4. They're no longer running a 4-3, so he won't be the classic middle linebacker. He'll be playing with B.J. Goodson, who was the Giants' middle linebacker last year, in a 3-4 defense. Uh, look, I think the Giants needed new leadership on defense. They had three cornerbacks suspended last year. The defense was terrible statistically. 
It was kind of at the forefront of the meltdown in the locker room. They needed new defensive leadership. They love Ogletree as a leader. They love the voice he brings. Um, so I think that had as much to do with it as any play. But I also think this, that we mentioned running back earlier. D- linebacker is the running back of defense for the Giants. And by that, I mean it's a position that's been ignored for far too long. I mentioned Tiki Barber was their last Pro Bowl running back in 06. Well, Antonio Pierce was their last Pro Bowl linebacker in 06. So uh, they had again, it's a position you think Giants, you think Lawrence Taylor, you think Carl Banks, you think uh, Jesse Armstead or Antonio Pierce. You think great linebackers with the Giants, and they've ignored it for far too long. And uh, Ogletree, I think, is a guy they see as a, if not a Pro Bowler, a guy who can play at a near Pro Bowl level. Well, you nailed a couple of things. He's, he's an outstanding leader of men. That's one thing the Rams are going to miss with him is he truly led that defense. He's also extremely athletic, and I think you guys will like that a lot about him. You'll, be, you'll have fun covering his athleticism. The problem with him they're going to have is he does not shed blocks well, and that's why he didn't work out well in the 3-4. They needed him to be a run stopper, and he could not, shut, you know, could, he could not get away from the blocks that are coming at him straight on. And so if they can improve that, if they can fix that role within his – within what they want to do for him, he couldn't be fine. But it just didn't work out because the Rams don't just run a 3-4. It's a kind of a modified 4-3 where it flexes out into a 3-4 in certain situations. And he couldn't adapt well to it, especially against the run. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how they do it. James Betcher's obviously seen a lot of him. The Giants defensive coordinator was in Arizona the uh, last three or four years. So you got to think that before Gettleman made that trade, he said to Betcher, look, you played the Rams twice a year. Do you see this guy can play in your style of defense? Uh, you got to think that that conversation happened. Yeah, I have to think so too. And I think that you guys are going to love the fact that how well he leads, like you mentioned it. He's just such a, that's one thing that we're going to miss. We have a, you know, all these big name players coming in the off season. We have no idea how the Eagles are going to work. And I would personally feel more comfortable if Ogletree's leadership was there to kind of help bring that together. But it's not yeah. what we get. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned Beckham before. I know that Rams acquired Brandon Cooks. What they give up? Like a first and a fifth? That wasn't getting Beckham to the Rams. A first and a fifth uh, was not. And if that was the price for Cooks, then I wouldn't be surprised if it was two firsts for Beckham. I, I, I would agree. Um, but – the offseason for the Giants overall, what other significant moves did they make, and what were their worst moves? That's a really interesting question, actually. Uh, so they brought in a bunch of guys who were familiar with the new coaching staff, which I think, again, speaks to the idea that they didn't have a lot of leadership last year. They wanted to revamp the locker room, and they wanted to bring in guys the new coaches could trust as character guys. So not only – they brought in Jonathan Stewart, who was in Carolina, the running veteran running back, Panthers all-time leading rusher, who was in Carolina with Gettleman and Giants offensive coordinator Mike Shula. They brought in a couple guys who were familiar with defensive coordinator Jim Spetcher, which is Kareem Martin, an outside linebacker, and Josh Morrow, uh, defensive end. Um, they brought in uh, Nate Solder, the a left tackle. I think that's probably their best move. He's the highest paid offensive lineman in football now. That's an overpay. Uh, He's never made a Pro Bowl, but he's still a very good player. If he was trusted to protect Tom Brady's backside for all these years, then he certainly can do it for Eli Manning. Uh, They kind of were forced into that because it was a uh, crappy tackle market, and they had a huge need at tackle. And so after they missed out on Andrew Norwell, the all-pro guard who went to Jacksonville, they ended up signing Solder. 
and then they ended up taking the guy Patrick Omema, who Norwell replaced in Jacksonville. When Jacksonville signed mm-hmm. Norwell, they didn't need Patrick Omema anymore, and so now he's with the Giants. So they uh, they signed three. They signed uh, those two offensive linemen. I actually think their best move was in the draft, drafting an offensive lineman, Will Hernandez, who slipped out of. The first round, most people had him in the going in the 20s. Uh, he slipped out of the first round, and the Giants took him at 34. Uh, in his first snap of his first practice of OTAs with the veterans, he got into a shoving match and a kind of a fight, a scrum uh, with uh, BJ Goodson in practice. So you that right there, that's a rookie not backing down, setting a tone. Uh, I think the Giants will love that. That's what they want. Um, so I think those are the best moves, the strangest moves to me. And look, it's a salary cap league, so you can't rip the Giants for not for letting go of these guys because you got to find money somewhere. You can't have Ogletree and Brandon Marshall. You can't have you can't have some of these guys. You can't have Nate Solder and uh, Dominique Rogers Cromartie. So to me, they're going in the season without an established number three corner after releasing Dominique Rogers Cromartie, and they're going in without an established number three receiver after losing Brandon Marshall. Two guys who are veterans who uh, now I think at those two positions, they're a little shorthanded, but neither guy has signed anywhere else yet. So maybe they weren't in as high demand as you thought. And they certainly their contracts suggested they needed to take a pay cut if not be released. As far as moves they did make, the one that questionable to me is Jonathan Stewart. I wonder if the draft was before free agency instead of vice versa, if they do that differently, because they gave $3.5 million to Jonathan Stewart, and then they drafted Barkley to play three downs. And what has the, dra- the overall feedback been for the draft? How'd they do? You mentioned Will Hernandez. What were their best and worst picks? I mean, I think they... I mean, if I'm great in their draft, I'd probably give them a B plus. I think they addressed most of their needs. Barkley, uh, obviously, I'm not personally, I'm not a fan of taking a running back number with your number one pick. I think history in the NFL shows you that running backs break down early. History shows you can find starters late, whether it's you know uh, Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara or. You know, however many other guys I can name in the NFL that are third and fourth round. Le'Veon Bell was the second rounder, top running backs who go in the middle rounds. Uh, But if you believe all the scouts and all the experts and all the draft gurus that Barkley is the best running back since Adrian Peterson, better than better than Fournette, better than Ezekiel Elliott. Um, better than Todd Gurley, well, then I guess it's a good pick. Uh, I mentioned Hernandez I love. The third round, they took Lorenzo Carter, an edge rusher, who's like literally the prototype for the 3-4 defense, uh, addressed a big need for pass rushing that they had after trading Jason Pierre-Paul to the Bucks. Um, the pick I mentioned already, the pick that made no sense to me was Kyle Aletta as a fourth-round quarterback. I think the Giants have made enough win-now kind of moves that it's obvious they were playing to win now with Eli Manning, you know, at the end of his career, uh, that it doesn't make any sense to pick two quarterback, use a third round pick on a quarterback last year and a fourth round pick on a quarterback this year when either of those picks could have been used for a win now guy, especially a starting offensive right, a starting right tackle. You have Solder at left tackle. You're moving Eric Flowers to right tackle. He's been a bust through three years of his career. I would have used that fourth round pick on a right tackle. So that's why I don't give the draft an A, but that might sound nitpicky. I'm, I'm just got a couple of questions left for you. Pat Shermer's also a guy we're familiar with. Uh, he didn't exactly do very well, you know, as 
a part of the Rams organization. How confident are the players right now in their new head coach? Uh, it's funny you say he didn't do very well. Didn't Sam Bradford win Rookie of the Year with Pat Shermer as his offensive coordinator? He did with seven and with seven wins. It was it's kind of hard to explain with with him. He the offense he ran was shall I say um, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's and part of me also wishes that the team would have given him a little more time. I think the Browns kind of messed up with him too. They didn't give him a lot more time to yeah. really kind of. But yeah, it was such a short time there, and in the the way the team played week in and week out with the offense, yeah. it was just frustrating to watch and. Yeah. That's why I, I wish I could get better feedback on that, but yeah. I also know he's a heck of a guy with a great NFL pe- pedigree too. Listen, he's the quarterback. He's the coach because of what he did with Case Keenum mm-hmm. uh, last year. I mean, he took a guy who was a off the street number three quarterback and turned him into a Pro Bowler and got him an eighteen million dollar contract with the Broncos. That's why he's the Giants head coach because he's seen as some sort of quarterback guru. He was with Chip Kelly and and the Eagles. He's part of the prolific Andy Reid coaching tree like I mentioned Sam Bradford won a rookie of the year with him he's never uh Pat Shermer's had a lot of quarterback success without ever having a Eli Manning or a Roethlisberger or Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or Drew Brees one of these guys so he's something of a quarterback whisperer obviously the Giants are in a position where they need to squeeze every last drop out of Eli and then transition to a new quarterback and so they wanted a quarterback's guy to be able to handle that trick, that slippery slope, so to speak. The thing I like about Shermer as a head coach so far is that he seems to have learned from his mistakes. I hate when coaches just bang their head against the wall and this is the way it's always been done. So this is the way we're going to do it. He's seen, he's mentioned on multiple times things that he didn't do his first time that he's doing now or things he did his first time that he's not doing now. And to me, it seems like he learned from it. We obviously won't know until the going gets tough. Uh, But I love that he prioritized the relationship with Odell Beckham. He prioritized the relationship with Eli Manning. He prioritized the relationship with the disgruntled Eric Flowers. And I think you're seeing that in that the Giants have had a really high rate of attempt. Beckham has every reason not to be on the field. He's rehabbing. He's unhappy with his contract. He, you know, these practices are voluntary, voluntary. He didn't show up last year for OTAs. He has every reason not to be there and he's there, which I think is a sign of respect for your head coach. Outstanding. Um, Here we go. Last question. All right. Where do the Giants finish right now in your view in 2018? And and can they compete with the Eagles in the NFC East or even for a playoff berth? I think they're the second best team in the NFC East. In a post in a Jason Witten Des Bryantless world, I think they're the second best team in the NFC East. Uh, I think they're a good ways away from the Eagles. I think the Eagles are probably a twelve and four, thirteen and three team. The Giants are probably a eight and eight, nine and seven team. Um, can they get in the playoffs? I mean, I guess that depends on how the NFC is the NFC South is loaded. They got three teams in the playoffs last year. Wouldn't surprise me if they did that again. Uh, NFC North, you know, you have the Vikings and the Packers. The uh, West, you have the Rams and the Niners. So and the Seahawks. So I don't know that nine and seven is good enough to get you in the playoffs. I think they'll compete. I think you know, week sixteen, week seventeen, Giants fans will still have a reason to go to the games. But end of the day, I think they're the second best team in the NFC East, and I don't think they get in the playoffs. 
Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, folks. You can find him on Twitter at RYDunleavy. Also on, check him out, Star Ledger, NewJersey.com. Outstanding work. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for having me on anytime. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood team, Grit and Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out his son's story about his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Crazy Lakes Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's also available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can find this book also, hey, also, through other various booksellers on the internet. Folks, I'm telling you, I've read this book cover to cover. It's worth every penny out there that Rams fans can spare. It's not expensive, but it's a great story. It's great history. Trust me, check it out. Hollywood's Teen Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, that about does it for us here at the Rams Talk Radio Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkRams or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. Most importantly, though, go to our website. We could use the clicks, all kinds of stuff there. We're putting more stuff up every day. RamsTalk.net. Please, RamsTalk.net. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. Don't forget, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, all those places. Subscribe, please. Help us out. All right. So, for the Rams Talk team, this is Derek C. Apollo. Take it easy. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.